0: Hi, I'm Nathalie, and welcome to Infinitely Irrational, where we discuss the real eccentric and complex history of math. In each episode, we unearth the wild stories behind some famous or not so famous mathematicians. Today we'll talk about Tycho Brahe, and this episode will answer the following questions. What's the best animal to take as your plus one to parties? Should you choose the materials for your own rhinoplasty? What do either of these have to do with math? Let's find out. Hi everyone. We are back with Joanna and today we're going to talk about a mathematician. I'm so excited to talk about this guy. One because I've never heard of him before and it was really cool to read about him and so I love I love learning new things like we all know. And so uh, today we're going to talk about Tycho Brahe who is a Danish mathematician or in some instances he may be called Tycho. We aren't 100% sure from looking at it. So, hi Joanna, welcome back. We're so excited to have you.
1: Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me back. It was really great last time. And I'm really happy to talk about Tico or Tycho today. Very special mathematician, this one. So Awesome. Um, so I know actually we were just
0: talking right before, before we dive into to Tico or Tycho, we were talking about some of the pronunciations that, you know, your first language being Greek and my first language always being English, but being in America by way of being in Latin America and the Caribbean, how words have kind of started. And I, I shared a story with you about my very first math class and my professor who was from India. And she is an amazing person. She's actually the reason that I got into math and um, it's kind of a running joke with me and my husband, This this uh, the verbiage of it. So she had hired me to sort of be what's called a supplemental instruction leader. So someone that could help her students in class and have sessions kind of outside after I had finished the class. But while I was in the class, I had for the first time in my entire life heard the word asymptote. The way she pronounced it, though, you know, she was from India. She said asymptote. So I thought this must be the way to pronounce this word when I was leading my sessions outside, uh, I kept saying the asymptote, the asymptote, the asymptote. And all these students who had like, I guess, heard this word before all told me, oh my gosh, it is asymptote. And it wasn't until I actually looked into it that I saw that it actually could have been asymptote. And in talking to you, you actually had some interesting insight on that.
1: Yeah. So my first uh, language being Greek and so many Greek words have obviously transferred into English and other languages, especially in maths and other sciences. And very often they are pronounced differently to how we would say them in Greek. I was saying like asymptote in Greek, you would say asymptote. So you wouldn't use the O sound on that syllable. Who knows what is the right one? And and there's so many stories where a mispronunciation and transferring one word from one language to another Gave us a new new words, actually, like Al-Khwarizmi, the Arab mathematician. His name was so wrongly pronounced for so long that <laughs> it turns out we have the word algorithm from his name. So, you know, mistakes sometimes are not <laughs> the worst thing, perhaps.
0: That's so fun. My husband has grown up here. He told me just the other day because I was asking him about pronunciation of something or the other. I can't even remember what I was talking about. And he said, oh, there's a lot of things that you pronounce differently than I would have I heard it here he's like but I really like the way you say it because it's just probably with where England the English influence in Belize which is where I'm from listening to those words plus infused with the Caribbean kind of that's sort of how I say the word and he says no it's like still right and it's very clearly the word but it's just a slight difference in pronunciation so I think it's it's really interesting but yeah okay so I guess I'm always I will always go down rabbit holes but I guess we should get back to talking about, I'm going to just say Tico because I Googled Danish pronunciation and that's what it told me. So I'm just going to go with Tico. So if there are any Danes around, please, please, you know, chime in and let us know
1: how to pronounce it.
0: Tico lived, what, 16th, 17th century,
1: somewhere around there? He just made it to the tenth of the 17th. So he died in 1601. So he just made it into the... He did it! Yeah, he did it. And actually, the uh, where he was born was um, Danish, but his birthplace became Swedish shortly after his death. So some people want to claim a bit of like, no, he's Swedish, but actually, well, he was born in Denmark. So it's a bit difficult to argue that point. But so we'll say we
0: Denmark asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what I thought was interesting here is when he was two years old, there's a lot of things that's interesting. But when he was two years old, he was kidnapped by his his rich uncle who didn't have any kids. By the way, again, shout out to your artist, your illustrator. This picture is the most amazing thing. I'm going to try and describe it, listeners. But if you can get a copy of this book, you're going to love the artwork. There's this man, the, the wealthy uncle. And he's walking off with his fist and he's, you know, he's got a kid in a bag and the kid's crying and he's like, I'm going. And there are like some random bikes behind him. It's cutest thing. It's probably not cute. If you think about the fact that his uncle was like, I'm taking this child angrily and storming off, but it's the most amazing artwork. Anyway, yeah, his his uncle kidnaps him. And what's so bizarre to me is that his parents did not search for him.
1: There are some questions as to whether that was an agreement beforehand for them to give them. I think he was their firstborn, but um, they did not search for him. All sources agree on that, that they did not try to get him back. But actually, that resulted in, in uh, Tico getting an ability and a lot of money from, from his uncle. So he was raised with a lot of money. He's practically their, uh, one of the wealthiest mathematicians. Especially in in the specific book, definitely the the one that had so much money at his disposal growing up, and when he started doing his his research as well.
0: It's interesting, you know. As we'll get into this, I wonder if he was like the first of the one percent, because you actually have in here that he, at some point later on, was in possession of
1: one around one percent of the wealth in Denmark. <laughs> All that money, that 1% of the whole country's wealth was going to him year after year to maintain all his research. He was granted a whole island at some point to build his uh, observatory. And he had his own kind of like servants and people to look after him and all sorts of things that will come up. One percent was a huge amount of money that he had at his disposal and pretty much no questions asked.
0: Well, if you think about the amount of any GDP anywhere, right, like one percent of that, if one single human being could have that amount of money, the things probably I don't know, I can't remember. i was just looking to see who the richest person was, I think, like Bezos or, or Musk or somebody just got knocked down. I can't remember. If it's that sort of degree of amount of money, I just can't even imagine. And then in the 16th century when all this stuff was going on. So let's talk about what he was interested in, because, you know, we talked about that he had the, the best education from when he was small since his parents had which I love by the way that it was like perhaps it was an arrangement and so it was like give me your firstborn because I always joke like you know oh yeah if they want my firstborn and my left finger you know (laughs) whoever it is when, when they're super expensive so I wonder if the uncle actually made some sort of arrangement to be like I will pay you for the rest of your life the parents did have other children after that they had lots of
1: other children after him the sources do not seem to, to completely agree on, on what the agreement was. But yeah, so his uncle wanted him to study law and he was trying to push him in that direction. And at first, kind of like it seemed to be working. At some point, Tycho uh, witnessed a solar eclipse. That made a lasting impression on him. He started thinking about mathematics and astronomy. There was a case where A prediction for an eclipse was a bit of a day off but even the fact that people could predict that was very influential on him and he thought that maybe i can do this even better and i can predict the eclipse with higher accuracy than a day off and so on
0: and that's really interesting too because later on as we'll see momentarily he really was very interested in this in this sort of accuracy so What I think is interesting here, like I want to clarify for our listeners, because I realize I didn't. I described this amazing graphic, the first one, where it's like the uncle is very angrily dragging this kid in a, a crying kid in a sack. But then the very next image, you know, he's he's Tico inherits nobility from his his uncle, which is actually why he's best known by his first name. But the very next picture is the uncle. And again, he's got like the big ruff around his neck with the, the green cloak and stuff, you know, the traveling cloak and um, or tunic rather, not traveling cloak. But the very next picture, he's very obviously caring and loving for Tico. He's putting a crown on his head and there's three bottles of wine behind him. It's wonderful artwork. So if you can get a copy of this book, I just cannot even recommend it enough. And also, of course, the story which we're talking about. But <laughs> at some point, he got into a disagreement with a nobleman. The name, I think, we're we, it's pronounced Mandrup Harjber. We hope so. You know, if you're Danish, no,
1: <laughs> we can only have. Before we go into that, if I can say thank you for uh, mentioning the illustrations, I think that Asuka Young poured her heart into illustrating this book she's done an amazing job and each of these illustrations have an anachronism in them so there is an object in all of them that could not have been there at the time oh my gosh Um, So the bike so in that case would be the bike indeed yeah, yeah so it's not just kind of like and that took a lot of extra research actually to find something that was definitely not there at the time but we think that's another layer of a bit of a puzzle and a kind of like a make it a bit more um, intriguing, I suppose. So, yeah, he had this disagreement. And it's again, the sources are a bit uh, conflicting in that were they disagreeing about something actual mathematical, like a formula or a a theory, or Mm. were they disagreeing on who the best mathematician was? Both these (laughs) are quite unclear, but either way, it's a weird disagreement to have, I suppose and you know, then if, have a, a dwell with uh, swords. Um, if you think
0: about the 16th and 17th century, and you think about all the fights that were going on, really, the big one that's coming to mind is uh, Descartes and, um, and Fermat. Fermat is talking about, oh, Descartes groping about in the shadows, Fermat not being the mathematician, right? And Descartes being this well-renowned one. And so there's the insult there about, you know, really, who's the better mathematician? Cardano and well, first of all, Cardano and literally the world, right? Anybody is like, yeah, I'm the better mathematician. So in my mind, maybe it was around, you know, like whatever the disagreement was with the different position of the bodies or the formulas or whatever it is. But in my mind, I'm going to believe that they came to fisticuffs because there was an insult about the better mathematician.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, Things can can get out of hand easily. I mean, they. I think they all enjoyed a bit of a party as well. So, classic.
0: Um, <laughs> they had this duel, right? So we we're already getting like like Galois flavor in here. But so they have this duel, and what ends up happening? Well, actually, you go ahead and tell us what happens.
1: So Tycho loses part of his nose. <laughs> uh, a big chunk of his nose was lost in the jewel cut off they couldn't put it back together it was impossible so um, he had to wear a prosthetic nose for the rest of his life and there's even um some suggestions that he would have a nose made of more valuable metals so that uh, for his formal appearances it seems like his nose was probably made of brass but uh, there's some suggestions that maybe he had one like a gold or silver one for special occasion
0: So what's amazing to me, when I first read this, I was like, you know, a duel. And by the way, again, shout out to the illustration. Then I was like, he lost his nose. And I was like, so he's going full Voldemort here. No nose or part of his nose. I'm not okay with this. And so he says, I really need a nose, but it can't look normal. It needs to really show off how rich I am. He goes and gets some sort of metal nose to put on his on his nose on his face, and again, all I could think of was what a good solution for Voldemort. <laughs> like that's all <laughs> I could think of. That's amazing. And as we talked about, he was in possession of one percent of the wealth of Denmark, and as you mentioned, the Danish government allowed him to use a private island called, I think it's pronounced Ven, as his observatory because again, he was all about constellations and stuff like that I think now might be a good time to talk about some of the stuff he was doing before we get into just the absolute wild situation that was this private island so let's let's take a moment to talk about the math and then we'll dip into dip into what he was doing
1: absolutely so um, his main interest was um, astronomy of course back then astronomy and astrology were a bit uh, muddled up together Mm -hmm. but as you say we'll come back to that and uh, he was um, observing the celestial bodies and how they moved. So in the preceding centuries, people thought that anything in the sky was unchangeable, but obviously with better instruments and closer observations, people started realizing that actually things move in the sky and how do they move and how does that change over time? His studies revolved around Looking at what we call a parallax. Mm-hmm. A parallax is pretty much an angle that we can measure using our sight line. So where we are and how we can, uh, where we see a star, and say uh, the line connecting the star to uh, the sun, and then that would form a right angle triangle between uh, the Earth, the sun, and the and the star. So a parallax if it's a large parallax it means that the uh, star is quite close to us and if it's a, a small parallax it means that the star is quite very very far from us
0: we're drawing a point from wherever we may be standing on the earth we're drawing a line to a couple of celestial bodies and then whatever artwork you're looking at if you've got like someone figure that's really big you could draw them really close to you and that makes them look huge as compared to someone very far in the background.
1: Exactly. That's a very good example. Also, an example that we've all experienced is if you are if you're traveling in a car or in a train, the things that are really close to you, so the trees that are just by the motorway, say, or the highway, they would seem like to be moving by really, really quickly. Uh, if there are any mountains in the distance, they don't seem to be moving that much. So, that kind of difference yeah. of something that's really close shows that it's moving much oh, faster yeah, than yeah. something that's really far that shows as if it, it's as if it's not uh, moving or moving very, very slowly. So that's similar to the idea of the, of the parallax. The background will be staying uh, unchanged, whilst the star that's closer to us will show that it's moving from one side kind of like, closer to some stars, to a group of stars. And then say six months later, it's going to be closer to a different group of stars and so on.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Also, the other thing that we talked about was that he was kind of really interested in making sure that there were more accurate measurements. To that end, he did what, about 30 different instruments maybe? What did he create
1: it or did he just sort of edit I think it's mostly editing and improving and making them more accurate. We're talking about a time when there were no telescopes just yet. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the uh, most significant astronomers, one of the last significant astronomers to work without a telescope. So all his measurements were taken with the sextant, again, measuring angles from where we're standing and the, the line connecting us to the star, like our, our sight line. And so on. again, a lot of helpers available to him to get him to improve these instruments and uh, make them as accurate as possible.
0: And he was also the one that said, um, now, I personally will say, I don't know if you have better knowledge of it than me, but he advocated for a move from the geocentric to the geoheliocentric cosmology. Maybe we can chat a little bit about that.
1: That's absolutely amazing. I agree with what you say about the move. So, obviously, people in in the olden days thought that the Earth was the centre of the universe. Everything was revolving around the Earth. More accurate measurements, people started doubting that. We had Copernicus start suggesting the heliocentric and so on. However, that would clash with the dominant religious beliefs of the time. And it seemed like it would be difficult to or balance the two. So a geoheliocentric cosmology would say that the planets that we can see apart from Earth are moving around the sun, but that system itself is rotating uh, around the Earth. So that's a geoheliocentric cosmology, and actually that theory is still called a Ticonic today, as a historic. Uh, Reference mode that we know that that's not true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's neat because this is how everything is in the mathematics world. At that time, this kind of thinking was popular enough that we had an astronomer from Prague named Ursus. He was actually accused of attempting (laughs) to plagiarize this model because apparently we know now that there are probably no original ideas. We've seen this with kind of the calculus wars where likely both of them created or created it, discovered it, put it on paper, whatever, completely separate of each other or, you know, using each other for inspiration. Even when we were talking about that episode, I think Ben had mentioned, Ben Orlin had mentioned in the episode that someone from India had reached out to him to let him know that there was a third group of people in India working on calculus at the same time too. I think it's really interesting that we have, you know, it's possible that this Ursus person could have come up with the idea concurrently because we all had access to the same information.
1: But who knows? Either way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Who knows? I mean, these things come up in similar periods of time, not by coincidence, but because they follow up from work of previous mathematicians, previous scientists. So why not in a way?
0: Now we come to, again, this is the wildest, craziest part in my mind of this story, which is the island of Venn. We know from, from the research that Tycho was the king's astronomer, perhaps the queen's special companion. It's unclear. They gave him all this wealth to look at the, the observatory, and he's got this, this island, and it became really one of the, the most prestigious settings for the astronomer. Wait, hold on. Let me get this correct. Astronomical research of its time. Tell us about like what was happening on this island. People were living there, right?
1: Oh, he had the families of, say, peasants at the time. They were already living on the island, so they became his kind of subject in a way. So they had to follow his new regulations. They had to look after produce, cleaning and other aspects of daily life. Then he also hired trained helpers to help him take and record the measurements. Even he managed to get his sister to help, her (laughs) name was Sophia. That was quite amazing for the time because not many women would be able to have such a position and help with taking scientific measurements and so on. Generally, his attitude seemed to have been very authoritative and he wanted things done in a very particular way. He even asked to build a a small prison, as I understand it. So if someone was not behaving as as expected, he would put into the uh, mini prison on vent.
0: So I want to circle back around before we get to the prison on this, because I really just want to paint the picture here. These 50 families or, or, you know, peasants, whatever we want to call them, they're living their life. They're like, they've got their houses, they've got their farms or, you know, whatever it is, they're living their best life. And this Randall shows up on the island he builds essentially a compound but it's the most comfortable compound for him and he says all right guys i'm here this is going to be the way things are i know you've been living however you've been living for however long you've been doing it but i don't care these are the new rules get with it and then also you said you said that he had highly trained helpers that he was probably paying. I wonder if he was paying the peasants. Since we're talking about highly trained helpers with the the measurements, he probably brought those people with him. Like he couldn't even bring money to the peasants to make their life better. It is wild to me.
1: Yeah, it, it seems to be that they were asked to increase their food produce and so on so that everyone could survive. What a
0: drain on this whole island. And as you said, he was quite authoritative and very specific because, of course, he is classic. And we think through his whole life where from a very young age, excluding the crying baby in the sack, but from a very young age, he's had the money. He's had the power. So, of course, in his mind, this is perfectly fine for him. In fact, he built this castle for himself. Uh, called Uraniborg, which I think I've pronounced that correctly, which was named after the muse of astronomy, Urania. Now, you talk about the amenities here, because I want to talk again about the image.
1: <laughs> sure. The amenities. He had, had a private gesture to entertain him and entertain his guests. And he had an elk as his pet. The poor pet elk was drinking beer sometimes and once he drank so much beer that it got drunk and fell off some stairs and actually died oh my god it's completely a tragic thing it's not enough you're an elk and you have to kind of like be a pet i'm guessing that's not in their nature and then uh, drinking beer and all of that so other uh things that he had in his uh, urani book was an alchemy laboratory because that was the time that alchemy was a thing. It was not what we think of it today. As we said, a prison and hosting parties fairly regularly.
0: I have some some commentary that I want to talk. I want to respond to that, everything you've just said. But before I do that, again, I need to talk about these illustrations. So Tico is sitting crisscross applesauce on the ground And his elk is there. He's petting the elk's head and he's got this big old ruff and everything else. There's a jester that's obviously just running in from wherever the jester was. And he's got this huge thing of balloons that he's just like, yeah, this is very much Tico living his best life, specifically with balloons. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Tico would go to... Other noblemen's, you know, places, castles or manors, whatever it is that they're having. And he says, all right, elk, whatever he's going to call his elk, I assume he named it. Or he tells the nobleman, listen, nobleman, me and my good friend, the elk are coming to town or to your house. And, you know, we're both going to like, how does this happen? I have a big... Yeah, I have a big dog that's like he's, you know, somewhere like 90, 100 pounds. And I could not imagine if someone invited me to their house for a meal or for a party that I would be like, Rad, not only am I coming, but I'm bringing my big dog. And an elk weighs how much? How did he even transport this? What is happening?
1: <laughs> I just All have very to- valid questions. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so- Anyway, setting the stage for Tico and just his eccentricities and his, you know, his use of or his the ways in which I suppose he spent money. Part of that, as you said, was the prison for for guests, as you said, who were not as collaborative as he demanded. Now, this slays me because I'm just imagining he's like, all right, other astronomers come over to the premier observatory. There's nothing else like it. Let's work together. Also, here's my opinion. What do you think? And someone disagrees with him. And he's like, to the gallows with you. I mean, what is this? <laughs> such a bizarre, like such a bizarre
1: situation here. He did keep a tenant and his entire family in chains at some point, And that was even against the decision of Denmark's High Court of Justice. How he managed to do that uh, is 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 very right unclear but um because of this attitude that he had and all the vast amount of money that mm-hmm. he was using it made a lot of people unhappy so eventually he had to abandon Ben. he stayed there for 21 years
0: kind of like the count of monte cristo where you know i forget the villain's name but like essentially he wants Monte Cristo. I can, why can I not remember any character's name right now? But he wants Monte Cristo's girlfriend. So he basically with all his money and influence, he's like, put take him to basically whatever their version of Alcatraz was, and put him in there and leave him in there right now in my mind, this is the count of Monte Cristo's origin story. That is the tenant that he kept in chains there. That's in my mind how I'm going to imagine I cannot and, believe
1: this. That was the inspiration behind it. (laughs) But the other thing that was happening around that time was that there was a new king to the throne. So he kind of lost the the support from the crown. And eventually he had to kind of like pack his things and and move out. He went to Germany and then uh, he stayed there for a a little while. And then he went to Prague. That's where he spent the rest of his life.
0: Now, I think would be a good time to talk about Because in true mathematician format, not only do they have a weird life, but most of them have a weird death. I was reading this again yesterday in preparation for this. I was running my own D and D game yesterday, my home game. After we talk about how he dies, I'll weigh in on what I told my group. But this is just the most bizarre way to die. But also for as much of a turd as he was. I'm kind of glad that, like, he got a pretty fitting end. (laughs) Let's chat
1: about it. At the party, at the banquet in Prague, and so he had made lots of people unhappy by that time. There were rumors that whilst he was the personal astrologer of the king before he left Mm -hmm. Denmark, that he was kind of like a special companion to the queen. So with the new king on ascending, things changed for him. So he did not have any favoritism coming his way anymore. There are questions whether anyone would want to harm him. So he was at this party and he was kind of like drinking a lot and having a lot of fun. But following the etiquette, he did not get up to go and relieve himself. So he did not use the bathroom for several hours that he was there. Once he got to go home, he could not anymore relieve himself. So something happened in his body that made impossible. So he spent 11 days in excruciating oh my uh, agony, agonizing pain, and then he died. The question was, did he die? Was there any, anything funny about what he was drinking? Did mm-hmm. anyone try anything funny with him? Or did his bladder actually burst in the end from from this inability to pass on urine?
0: Here's the scene. Tycho Brahe, fallen from grace, living in Prague. Everybody hates this guy. And he shows up, you know, but he's still somehow being invited to parties, I guess, because they're like, all right, you're kind of on the outskirts of nobility. Or maybe in my mind, I just I was reading this meme or this Twitter post or whatever. And it was like a really good way to go to a party is instead of saying, oh, what do you do for for a living or something to be like, all right, so who here do you hate? I imagine Tico Brahe walking in, someone else coming in saying, who here do you hate? And they everybody pointing at Tico in my mind. That's what I'm imagining. He walks in, he's got his ruff, potentially his elk. We don't know if the elk is still here yet. And then also his fancy nose, his um metal nose. And he walks in and they're sitting there, they're eating, drinking, being merry. Instead of him, say, excusing himself or do, because you got to think like, Surely people weren't sitting at a table and just not ever leaving, but maybe, I don't know, I didn't attend parties in that century. Instead of saying at any point in time that he needs to excuse himself for any reason, I need to check on my elk, perhaps. No, he's going to sit there and suffer. When I was teaching, I would have to take breaks between classes, otherwise it would not be great. But he did. And for 11 hours, uh wait no
1: was how many hours was it do we know we don't know at the party no I I don't think I came across a specific duration but you're right it's absurd why would you not get up would everyone be expected to sit there and not move for for that long no matter the uh, duration I mean if you drink and eat and that's why you're you sure? are sure yeah you are gonna need the bathroom absolutely. it's a
0: thing that happens then he goes home after this. Now we are in potential medical problem issue, but for however long he held it, in my mind, I just can't comprehend this because at some point nature takes over. But I guess maybe he had the strength of mind to, I don't know, but after 11 days of this agony, so 11 days of him just being in the worst, most excruciating pain, he passes away miserably. And I'm going to imagine alone, (laughs)
1: People were so bewildered by this uh, death that they exhumed his body twice, once in 1901 and once in 2010, so very, very recently, to examine his remains. So I believe in 1901, they took his uh, moustache and checked if there was any uh, residue on it. And there was supposedly some mercury residue. But then again, he had A prosthetic nose. He had an alchemy laboratory and so on. So he was not your average person. Mm -hmm. He would have come across some peculiar, unusual chemicals, perhaps. And then in 2010, they re-examined. And the conclusion is probably no foul play here. It was just kind of like he brought it to himself.
0: Two things. First thing is the illustration here is we've got sort of a gold toilet situation, which is amazing. And then we've got Tico that's very clearly in agony. And next to it, there are several rolls of toilet paper. I cannot tell you how much I love these illustrations. I think it was the illustrations that was like, please, can we talk about this guy? Because they're so great. It's interesting to me that one, we had the whole story of the guy, you know, we were living on the island, doing all these things. Nobody really likes him at the end. He passes away. We're going to exhume his body, really dig into it in 1901 and again just a few years ago I say a few years ago what is time but just again recently in 2010 that's crazy to me and why this guy why is it so important however many hundreds of years later we're still trying to think about what possibly could have happened to this guy that like had this weird island with his pet and his weird nose of all the people to worry about, why are we still wondering about? I mean, not that it's not a good question to wonder, but it's, cra- it's interesting. It's crazy to me, actually, but it's also interesting. Like, we're, we really need to get to the bottom of this. I guess maybe that's how we discover new things.
1: <laughs> it's a very question. He's not of the top famous astronomers of all time. I mean, his um, assistant, Johann Kepler, mm-hmm. was originally... Tycho Brahe assistant Ooh. and he inherited all his uh, measurements from him. And then he went on to, to state the laws of planetary movement and right. so on. So from hindsight, he was not the top name. He was a top name for his time, but for now, Johann Kepler is obviously much more famous and so on. So
0: I wonder what their relationship was. And if it wasn't something that maybe Kepler was like, this is something I must know if their relationship was good, that's plausible. But I guess here's here's the other takeaway from this is that everyone, men, women, elk, you know, dogs, everyone, if you are at a party and you need to excuse yourself to use the restroom, please do so. And like, that was literally how I started my session. I was like, guys, I was reading about this mathematician. <laughs> And this thing, and here's how he died. So I just need to say, it's going to be okay. Do not Tico Brahe this. (laughs) See, it's going to have a name now.
1: Do not Tico Brahe.
0: Tico Brahe. Oh my goodness. That'd be really interesting to dig into is like Kepler and his relationship. Did Brahe teach or treat anyone okay? Even his elk. He was like, I'm going to get you drunk or like, however that happened. I don't know, frankly, I don't know anyone that would be like, you know, what's amazing to have a jester, someone just to make me laugh. What a demeaning job.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, what an arrogant state, I suppose, to think that right. I, I get to have that. But I, I think I've had really good uh, relationship with the king of Denmark. But he was the
0: wife's special companion. I mean, I guess at that time they didn't care, probably. I don't know. No,
1: that was, I I think uh, that was a rumor. Like, maybe the king didn't know quite what was happening. So Tycho had access to the palace being the astrologer. And the people were getting uh, advice from their astrologers all the time back then. Uh, Hopefully Mm -hmm. no one does that anymore. (laughs) You would hope. But... (laughs) that's what gave him access to the palace. And then the other potential relationship progressed. I don't think that was out in the open or it was a great ring. Yeah.
0: Well, I love that we now have the Count of Monte Cristo origin story here by the prisoner in his island prison. But what a bizarre, interesting guy, but just bizarre life and end and situation. I mean, classic, right? I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about these bizarre mathematicians, their lives, their math. Tell us again where can the the listeners find you?
1: The both books. So this is peculiar deaths of famous mathematicians. It's my second book, and the first one is called mathematical adventures. Uh, they're both uh, available on Amazon. Lots of online retailers should have stock, and I have my website. It's uh, my name which is a bit difficult to say, so I'll, I'll spell it a bit if that's okay. So it's yeah. Ioana, I-O-A-N-A, Georgiou, so georgio com, And I'm um, adding some more material there from kind of like a bit of a, like a maths blog and some other information and ideas and things I come across. So I hope people will have a bit of a bit of time to have a look. And these are the main places I would say.
0: And I'll go ahead and make sure that I get all that linked in the in the description, so that anyone that wants to find you can just boop click it, and you know, one step and they're there.
1: Perfect. And all the social media you can find all of them from there. So you know, Perfect. Instagram, TikTok, all of those links from the website to all of. Them. So that should be fabulous, handy. fabulous. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: again, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And I think we have probably. Just one more mathematician that we want to chat about, so we'll,
1: we'll get that out to you soon. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me at your podcast. As you know, I'm a huge fan, I love how you kind of like approach things and yeah, it's such a pleasure to chat with you about these uh, amazing people.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Infinitely Irrational. Can't get enough of the math and the fun? Visit us on the web at infinitelyirrational.com for the math and research behind the stories. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email at podcast at infinitelyirrational.com. If you love this episode, subscribe, follow, and share. See you soon for the next one.